Would you please bow your heads with me and uh, pray along with me? Father God, may you be glorified today. May your word be magnified, God. I confess, God, I've never been less nervous and never been so overwhelmed in this position. I thank you. And I pray for grace, God. I pray, Lord God, that you would open up the scriptures to us, God. That we would understand, Lord, beyond just attaining more head knowledge of you. As we see in the people of Israel. May our lives be changed. May our lives be moved to action, Lord. As a result of this series as a whole, Lord, and as a result of today's word. I so thank you for this opportunity, Lord. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? Just want to read through uh, the passage one more time. I'll actually be reading uh, through the first 13 verses. And God's word says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, cushion Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. From the west I will gather gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the north, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar. And my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind and have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Who among can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. 
and let them hear and say it's true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed, when there was no strange God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And, and henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who could turn it back? It's really easy to look at a passage like this and be swept away by the words that are expressed here as to God's love towards us. And rightfully so. God means what he says. But it's also easy to miss the point in a passage like this. And we need to learn to read the Bible for what God is saying and not selectively choosing what we want to hear at any given uh, time or, or situation in your life. And today's passage will discover that in the midst of all this loving and poetic and, and comforting language that Isaiah writes down here, God is revealing himself as our creator and making very clear what is our purpose. We were created to be witnesses of his glory. I know that some have, I was kind of want to pick you off a little bit, and I've included it as part of the message, something that Nathan said last week. That this perhaps has been a very difficult series for a lot of people. It has been for me. I've been challenged. But I've also found a lot of comfort. And I want to challenge you to listen to what God has to say and that you would hear and that you would heed to his voice as he speaks this morning. Again, we were created for his glory and we need to understand this. One thing about God's glory, he says, I give to no other. God alone gets the credit as to our creation, and this also defines our purpose. And before we begin with chapter 43, we need to understand the opening word of this passage, but a conjunction that alerts us that something has happened in the previous chapter. <clears throat> and it's about to be addressed in chapter 43. So what happened in chapter 42 that prompted uh, Isaiah to use this word to begin uh, his chapter. You can follow along with me. I'm going to be reading some of the verses. I'm going to be making reference to probably most of them. Uh, and hopefully it will help you uh, as you read up on your own. In chapter 42, Israel is described as having failed God as his servant. But how can that be when you... When you start off chapter 42 and you read in the first, few, uh, the first four verses, 
how the servant of the Lord is to bring perfection to the world. And then we read in verses 18 through 21 a description how the servant fails. How do we explain this? We find a clue in verse 24 of chapter 42. It reads, Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunders? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose laws they would not obey? In chapter, 40, in chapter 41, verse 8, we see that Israel was the servant of the Lord, but they were blind to God's purposes, and they were deaf to His word. They failed in their mission, so God sent the ideal servant in Christ And in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 42, what we're looking at is we're looking forward to to Jesus, the perfect servant that was to come. Israel failed to see their purposes, purposes and never really understood it throughout their history. And in verse 21 of chapter 42, we read that the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. to show himself to the world around him that his law was glorious, that he is the only way, that his ways are good and they're profitable for the soul. And that's how Israel, Israel failed because they were given God's law. They knew the Torah. They were called there to be a light, but they weren't. And so we begin chapter 43. God is about to address his blind and deaf servant. He begins by reminding them of their origin and their identity. Let's read the opening verse. Verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Isaiah uses the term created to describe, to, descri- uh, to describe them that Yahweh, the God of the covenant, their God, supreme God, created them from nothing. And we also see that there's a, the use of the names Jacob and Israel, where the use of the word created carries the meaning as to their origin The use of both names speak of God's purpose for them. Jacob was the deceiver who had to become Israel. And this order in the use of these names expresses the true identity of God's people. Israel is the heir of the promise. We also see in the use of the word, we also see in the use of words, redeemed, called you by name, and you are mine, that's Israel's complete identity was in the Lord. And we see that uh, in the second part of, of, of verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. This is Israel's complete identity in God. In this opening verse, we see God as Israel's creator. We see God as Israel's rightful possessor. It was after they had left Egypt and were in Mount Sinai that God spoke uh, to Israel through Moses 
In chapter 19 of Exodus, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This opening verse so speaks as to why Israel ought to fear not. They were created by God. They were redeemed by him. They were named by him and declared to be his possession. But it also explains the need for what was coming in verse 2, what's being described there. The name Israel implies God's purpose as to, as to who they are, a holy nation. So God's discipline was necessary. Discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishments. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, clearly shows that God disciplines those whom he loves and that he chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 10 tells us that the purpose and goal of his discipline is so that we could share in his holiness. These opening, uh, this opening verse ought to put a perspective for us when life is hard. I know that for many here, we have all experienced hardship. We will experience some form of hardship. And some are currently living through some very hard times. And though we know the purposes of Israel's hard time to come, because this chapter here is a prophecy of what was to come to Israel, and hard times were coming. And it was coming because they were disobedient. It was coming because they were worshiping idols and not the true God, the God who created them, the God who redeemed them, the God who named them. And God loves them. And he was about to use his rod, which David describes as comfort in Psalm 23. He understood God's love. But I just want to make a point here because even though we know this about Israel and why they're going to go through what they're going to go through, when we consider the reason for hardship in believers' lives, we know that as we look at the context of the Bible as a whole, a lot of the reasons are unknown as to why we go through what we go through. It doesn't mean that if you're going through a hard time, uh, it's because you're worshiping idols or you're, you're walking in disobedience or there's some hidden sin. Sometimes we do go through hard times as a direct result of our obedience or disobedience because of something that we've done. But sometimes we just don't know. And I want to just offer you Job. By God's declaration, Job was a just man. But the poor guy didn't know what hit him. He suffered some very tragic events in his life. He lost all his riches. He lost all his children. We have the benefit of knowing what was going on behind the scenes because we have the Bible. We have the full story. But one thing that's amazing about Job is that in good times and in bad times, he blessed the Lord. He recognized that the Lord gave and the Lord took, and he blessed the Lord. Regardless of what your personal hardship is, 
one thing for sure that's going to be true for all of us is that it will reveal what's in your heart. And God wants to, when he allows us to go through the fires, is to cause the droves to rise up so that he can scrape it off. To bring out the impurities that are in us. Because even Job, a just man, at the end of, of the book of Job, we see that Job repents because he had a wider view of who God is. Repentance isn't always about because you did something wrong. It's that we grow in our perspective of who God is. And we realize that what we know now, we only know in part. And as we go through life with this wonderful book open and on our knees, God is going to reveal of himself more and more. And sometimes he does that through trials in life. Whatever the case, whatever the case, trust God. And if, as you're going through it, and it reveals something that's not right, submit to the discipline of the Lord and allow him to purge you of these idols. Take great comfort in knowing that you, Christian, have been created by God. You have been formed by him. You have been redeemed by him. You have been called by name. You are his. He has a vested interest in you. And because we are his creation and his possession, and he has defined our purpose, we are under God's complete oversight and protection, even when we are under the fire, whether you know why or not. Remember what he says in verse 2. If you want to glance at your Bible, I'm just going to highlight some things here. He says, I will be with you. The waters shall not overwhelm you. The fires will not, uh, will not burn nor consume you. Why? We don't have to look past verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior. Not only are we His, but He shows us that He's ours. He's our God. And unlike us, he's faithfully eternal and true in what he says and what he does. And he continues on affirming in verse 4. By saying, because you're precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. In verse 5, he says again, fear not, for I am with you. Israel's reminded of the role God's sovereignty plays in his love for them. He tells them in verse 3, the second part of verse 3, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. And repeats it again in verse 4, the second part, I will give men in exchange for your life. He reminds Israel of their past and his rescue of them from Egypt. God will hand Babylon over to Cyrus to release Israel from exile. And you can follow up on your own by reading Isaiah chapter 44, 
verse 28, Isaiah 45, verse 1, Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 14, and the opening of the chapter of Ezra. God is sovereign in Israel's affliction, and he is sovereign in our affliction. How great is our God? Isaiah 40, verse 15, sheds a little light. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. How big is our God in comparison to what we may be going through? And I don't offer this pretending that it's like a pill. You take it, you pop it, everything's going to be good. Sometimes you've got to work through this. There's times when I get home and I don't even know how to begin to pray. But I bow my knee and I just, sometimes I just kneel there in silence. And he begins to kind of remind me of who he is and what that means and what he's done and what he will do. And I'm reminded as we, uh, as uh, the men met uh, weeks ago and one of, the, one of the topics that we talked about was the omniscience of God and sometimes that's the one that soothes and comforts my heart because I know I don't even have to say a word because he knows but I bring it to him I come to him this is our God There's nothing that's too big for him. There's nothing that's out of control. We see in, in, in the previous verses that, that he manipulates nations. He, he, he moves things around to accommodate his purpose. I have not gone through a passage like I've gone through this one and been so moved. And just being reminded of how great our God is. And how easily we forget and how easily we turn to things that cannot do what God has done and wants to do in us. I know I'm guilty of that. What a loving God we have. What a patient God we, ha we have. We can find so many applications here for our lives that when life is hard in these verses, God is sovereign in the life of His people. He has loving intentions toward you and He can use other people or circumstances to fulfill His purposes. Nothing is beyond His control. God is sovereign. And though it doesn't say it specifically here, but we see God's sovereignty at play in the lives of his, of his people, even when they're in, in disobedience. Even that ought to put a perspective when we consider some of the things that we give ourselves to that cannot give what God has given and what he's offering and what he gives through Jesus Christ, his son. Just consider some of the things that we give ourselves to, maybe careers. You're only as good as your best project. I don't know, for me, I, I, I think of it in, 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 in context and in terms of my job. I'm only as good as my, my most current pinch. 
because I got to go out there and do it again. And I'm only recognized when I produce numbers, when I come in with, with heads, when I lock up the bad guy. I'm good. But I'm only good. And I've seen guys. I've seen guys that just... And this speaks to all careers, but I can only speak to you from my experience. That give themselves to the career to, 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 such, a, to such an extent... That their lives are ruined because of it. I don't know how, what else can we come up with in terms of what are idols. Our figures, our bodies. What a price we have to pay. What a price we have to pay for that. And yet we have a God who is God, because there are no other gods, the only God, that even when we fail, he lovingly brings us back. He lovingly forgives us. He restores us. He shows us himself through his word. And this is something that we, we don't just read and fill our heads, but we can experience in our walk daily. In regards to afflictions, again, regardless of why you find yourselves in them, they will only last as long as God allows them in the fulfilling of his purposes. Israel's captivity will last until God commands their release. And we see that in verse 5, the second half of that verse, and, and going into uh, verse 6. He says, beginning in the second line, I will... Bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. He commands. You will only be there as long as he needs you to be there. To fulfill his purposes. And when it has, he will call you out of it. He will bring you back. He will gather you back up. It does not matter where Israel will find himself. God will fulfill his purposes with them as a nation on this earth. And we know that to be true. We have seen it played out as we read the Bible. We have seen it played out in our history. In 1948, I believe, when Israel was declared a nation again. That's prophecy. It happened, not on my time, but... uh, in the context of, of, of history now, modern history, it happened. God orchestrates history and people to benefit his blind and deaf servants. And yes, because we're precious in his eyes, we're honored by him, he loves us. And we see in these verses that God is saying that he will go with us through these afflictions. He's going to be with us. I will be with you. I'm going to walk with you. We are precious to him. And he loves us. But there's a, a higher reason as to why. And this one we really need to understand. Because life is about him. We are about him. And one of the ways that we have made an idol 
a little g of, of Yahweh, big God. We, we serve him on our own terms, one of the ways. We have come to think that it's all about us. And though, to a degree, we are, the, we are an object of, of God's love and his purposes, but God's main purpose is himself. And wrapped in that knowledge, there is much security to be had. I don't know how else to explain this, but there is safety, there is security, there is comfort. One of the things that I walked away with when I considered God's glory, the things that he claims, the things that he states, who else can do these things? And we know through his word, and some of us know through our experience, we were created for the glory of God. And God's purpose is his glory. Isaiah pushes our thinking all the way to this ultimacy in verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And for all that could be said about this verse, the focus here for today's purpose is whom I created for my glory. We are all God's creation. And this defines God's purpose for us. From the very beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 1, that where God said, let us, let us form man in our image. Our definition began right there. We were created to be image bearers of a holy God, of an all-powerful God. Not that we are gods like him. He created us kind of like a mirror that when he, when he looks at us, he wants to see himself. We were created for God's glory. At the heart of our purpose, the reason he made us and redeemed us was for that. There's a lot of words of comfort here. There's a, a lot of things that we could just lean on and rest on and rest assured. And though the tone changes in this passage, the thought is still the same. It's still about God. Because we have seen just, again, just wonderful descriptions of, of God's love for us. Tender language. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. What wonderful language. But even that is still about him. Again, remember, God has a vested interest in us. And it's not to say that when, when, when we look at a passage that says you're mine, 
And just in my conversations with some of you men, as we've talked about this text, it just seems like the word redemption has lost its power in the church. We sing it in so many songs, I am redeemed. And we see its meaning wrapped up in that second part of, 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 of uh, verse 1. Redeemed, called by name, you are mine, God is our possessor. God bought back what was his to begin with. What happened in the Garden of Eden wasn't just some fluke and he came up with another plan. That was all part of his plan. He's taking back what's his. He's going to accomplish his purposes. We belong to him. He is our possessor. That's a language, I think one of the descriptions that as I was sharing with one of the brothers is like a husband to, to a wife who promises to love, who promises to be faithful, who promises to care. This is what God is saying to us. This is what he's communicating here. This is what redemption means. It's a big word. Let's spend some more time thinking about this stuff. I, will, I, I, I say it when I'm with the men, and I've said it up here many, many a times. We need to set time aside to read through these things, to ponder through them, to think on them, meditate, to pray, asking God to reveal himself. And he will because that's his promise. Again, the atmosphere changes. It goes from one of comfort and blessed assurance to one of a challenge. And Israel and the nations are called into a courtroom. We see it in verse 8 and 9a. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, and yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the people assemble. And what we're seeing here, what's being examined in this proceeding, is the Lord's claim to the exclusiveness and sole deity. The Lord puts himself on trial. He, 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 he goes up to the stand but yet he's the one asking the questions. He challenges, he challenges them to prove him wrong. Present your evidence, he asks. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it's true. I just have to ask. I don't know who. God knows. How's it going with those idols that you've been worshiping, that you've given yourself to? Have they given what they've promised to give? And in essence, that's kind of one of the things that God is asking here. The former things are referenced to the past prophecies. And in the immediate context of this chapter, we know that God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. We see that in Genesis 12. A nation through whom uh, all the world will be blessed. And before, I just found this really interesting after I read it. Before the nation was even formed, Israel's captivity and freedom was predicted two chapters later. So before they even became a nation, God made some very specific um, predictions here, prophecies here. 
And they were fulfilled. So when he asked the question, who can say these former things? Only he can answer that question. But so can we to an extent here. And I don't want to jump ahead. Um, We can go on and on, but God makes his point. Who can declare the former things? And who can declare such things as the ones that have been declared in these 13 verses? No one. No one has an answer. No one has a response. Not Israel, not the nations. And God is about to turn the tables here. He says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe and understand that I am He. What's been the point of this whole radical series? The reason behind radical abandonment, behind radical grace, behind radical focus, radical Missions, and part two, missions, a lifelong duty, right? The whole point of this radical series is God. The aim of the gospel is God. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, to forgive us of our sins. Yeah, that's a true statement. Because sin is what has separated us from God. Sin created a chasm that can only be filled by the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's on that cross that we get from one side to the other. He restores our lives because sin is destructive, ultimately leading to eternal death. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but live for Him who died and was raised. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. We were saved to the praise of His glory. Ephesians chapter 1. Good news. The light has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are His witnesses. The story of the blind and deaf servant is applicable today. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that long time, a long time ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by using types that point to Christ. Kings, priests, prophets, even Israel is a type. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, the perfect servant that's talked about in Isaiah 42 Verses 1 through 4, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And in the same way that God created Israel, he composed the body of Christ. And Christ is its head. In Colossians 2.19, Paul says of the body of Christ that God nourishes it, and he knit it together, and that it grows with the growth that comes from God. Just as Israel is heir to the promise of God through Abraham, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, 
members of the same body and partakers of the promise. And finally in Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the purpose. Israel could testify as a witness because they were given God's law. God's perfect law was given to them. Israel can testify because they experienced God's redemption. They experienced God's presence in their midst. They saw things. We too can testify. Because we have been given the complete word. We have God's word. We can testify of God's redemption. We have a story to tell based on a, on a walk with him. So we too can speak of our experience just like Israel did. We've read the stories. We have a story too. We were created to be his light. We were created to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his mouth. We are God's witnesses, Good News Bible Church. I don't know how many saw the debate with Ken Ham and Bill Nye. It's pretty awesome. One of the things that I was just kind of blown away by is uh, just... Uh, how Mr. Nye was just trying to separate science from, from the Bible, and, and you can't. You can only go so far in, in explaining matter and, and the things that we see, and it kind of comes to, to a halt somewhere in time, however they measure that. Because it truly began in the beginning, God said... And I was just so impressed by it. And I was like, man, if I can just... But after I thought about it, if I, if I can... For me to speak like that, I'd have to start all the way back to kindergarten and, and go and do better in high school and, and finish college when I was supposed to and, and move on and, and, and maybe. And you know what? God has a purpose for Ken Ham. And thank God for Ken Ham. And thank God for the Nature Museum. God has placed him there. God has placed us where we are in our, man, such a variety of, of careers that are represented here and, and different walks of life. And in the end, the only thing that we might be able to say is like that blind man, I don't know, I just know that I was blind and now I see. And that's a testimony of what God has done in his life. We all have a story to tell. And that story is God. We were created for His purpose, to be witnesses of His glory, that He has made known to us in His Word and in our lives. We were created to be witness of His glory. He created you, O Christian. He formed you, Good News Bible Church. He redeemed you and he called you by name. And you are his witness. Bow your heads, please.
Father, thank you, Lord, for this almost indescribable grace that you have given to us. Father, I want to pray for the one that may be sitting here, still maybe feeling a little uncomfortable, Lord. Help them, Lord, that they will yield to you, that they would come to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word is true. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue working this out in our hearts, Lord. And that, Lord, that we would be that radical church. Radical in the sense of it's normal to us, it's normal in your word, but it's radical to the world around us because it goes counter to what the world believes. Your message is true. Your message is real, Lord. Help us, God. Help us, God, to reach out to the lost world around us. Help us to understand, Lord, how even though everything is about you and you are the center of it all, Lord, there is safety in that. There is power in that. Help us to understand, Lord, in a way that only your Holy Spirit can help us. Thank you, Lord, for this time. And I pray for our church in Jesus' name. Amen.